A new COVID catastrophe now having a ripple effect in the United States. The lead starts right now. Breaking today, the White House will start restricting travel from India as bodies are burned in mass cremations during a crippling outbreak there. The investigation into Rudy Giuliani ramping up in a big way. Now we're learning it might all be about one specific official whom President Trump fired. Plus, another state in the United States on the verge of passing a law adding new limits to mail-in voting, and it's a battleground state. Trump won in 2020. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news in our health lead today. The White House just announced that the U.S. will start restricting travel to the U.S. from India because the COVID crisis there in India is so devastating. CNN's Caitlin Collins joins us now from the White House with this breaking news. And Caitlin, when exactly do these restrictions go into into effect? And, And tell us who is impacted. So, Jake, they're not going into effect immediately. This is not starting till actually 12.01 a.m. on Tuesday, May 4th. That's when you're actually going to see these start going into place. And we should be clear that this does not apply to U.S. citizens. If you're a U.S. citizen, you can still come into the country. Those international testing standards, however, are still in place. But instead, this is going to apply to non-U.S. citizens who have been in India in the last 14 days. It's pretty similar language to the other travel restrictions for other countries that are in place. it also doesn't apply to humanitarian workers. The White House made that clear earlier today because that is something that has been a big concern as humanitarian workers have been going back and forth in addition to the U.S. sending that supply, those supplies of oxygen, PPE, things that are desperately needed in India right now as they are dealing with this record number of cases. But, Jake, the White House said they came to this decision after conferring with the advice of the CDC, national security experts. Uh, really, this is something that's been underway, a discussion at least underway for several days days here now, and they have now made this decision, but it doesn't go into effect until Tuesday, just to be clear. Harris, whose mother was from India, was was Indian American, ultimately. Um, She just spoke about this. What, What did the vice president have to say? Yeah, she actually still has family in India. She said she has not spoken with them since this announcement uh, was made by the White House today, but she did comment on this. She's the highest ranking official from the White House so far to actually talk about this on camera, and this is what she told reporters. We have a responsibility as the United States, in particular as it relates to the people that we have partnered with over the years, to to step up when people are in a time of need. Tonight, in fact, we're going to be sending a plane with supplies that will include oxygen and with an expectation that that will provide some level of relief. So we haven't actually heard from President Biden on this yet, Jake. He is in Delaware for the weekend, but I do expect that we will hear him address it before they actually go into place on Tuesday. In January 2020, candidate Biden attacked then-President Trump for the, quote, reactionary travel bans that Trump Trump proposed during the Ebola crisis. But now he is going to do his own travel ban. Yeah, he was critical because then when Donald Trump was, of course, still a private citizen, he had complained that Obama and Biden did not put travel measures in place in that situation. That was something that you later heard officials say they actually believe worked out in the end. But President Biden did talk about that as a candidate. Now, of course, he is president. These are decisions that are now on his plate and he has to make them. There are a lot of questions also that I've been seeing about why this didn't happen sooner. People asking why these travel restrictions hadn't gone into place, given we have seen these numbers skyrocketing in India 
for about 10 days now. Um, so the question, I think it's kind of a balancing act there for the White House of when is the right time? Is it dire enough that this needs to go into place? And according to the CDC, this is the decision that they've now made, Jake. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. Continuing uh, in our world lead now, the situation in India could not be more dire with sources tell CN- telling CNN that the White House at travel restrictions starting May 4th or as a result. Uh, today has been yet another day of bodies piling up and crematoriums unable to keep up with the influx of dead. Indian families desperate and unable to give their loved ones a respectful send-off. Hospitals full and running out of supplies. Today marked the ninth consecutive day in India where more than 300,000 cases were reported. And as CNN's Sam Kiley reports now from New Delhi, with only 2% of India fully vaccinated, This nightmare is likely just beginning. A sensor reveals dangerously low levels of oxygen. Stifled by COVID-19, this canister of gas buys this patient time. All of these patients arrived barely able to breathe. This isn't a medical clinic, it's a tent on the outskirts of India's capital, run by volunteers. Without the initiative being shown by these volunteers from the Hemkunt Foundation who are providing oxygen on the street, on the outskirts of Delhi, they say many dozens, perhaps over a hundred patients would be in deep trouble medically now. They already had one death just over there earlier on today. They've treated over a hundred people who've come in desperate for oxygen, unable to breathe. And it's all about this, the supply of these oxygen cylinders. It's a 300-mile drive each way to get one of these filled and brought back to Delhi. They cost about $25 when filled. How easy has it been to find oxygen? Oh, my God, trust me, this this has been the toughest thing we are facing. With COVID-19 infections and numbers of deaths breaking records daily in India, many patients in Delhi have given up on hospital treatment where they know that oxygen is scarce and beds often shared. Pankaj Chandrawal said he was turned away by three hospitals. He took off his oxygen mask, demanding to be heard. But they are just not entertaining anything, and they're just refusing all the things. I cannot tell uh, to whom I can blame. It is both government and the hospitals also. Bottled oxygen is mostly produced outside Delhi. And neighbouring states are prioritising their own needs. And so the city gasps and many die unrecorded in their homes. Jitinda Shunti collects the bodies of patients who die at home. He'll pick up three in this one-hour run. Many are even afraid to take their dying loved ones to hospital. Prashant Sharma's family decided to keep his grandmother at home. We were scared seeing the condition around. So we got scared if we took her to any nearby hospital, who is going to, you know, be in touch with her? Who is going to give us the information, exact information, what is going on within the hospital? India's government has promised a vaccination campaign with renewed vigour. But with around only 2% of the nation inoculated so far, that's cold comfort here. 
Now, Jake, uh, the 2% figure is, we believe, reliable, but the figures for the numbers of people infected and dying here are woefully inadequate. For example, here in Delhi, the official figure for death tolls in the last 24 hours is about 375. We know from talking to people running crematoria that that figure's at least double that. And those three individuals that we saw picked up, for example, very unlikely to be recorded as part of India's official death toll, Jake. All right, Sam Kiley in New Delhi, India. Thank you so much for that sobering report. CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, joins me now. And, and we should note, Sanjay, that this crisis in India hits very close to members of the CNN family. Our colleague, Fareed Zakaria, lost his mother to COVID in India just a few weeks ago. Sanjay, you have family in India. How are they doing? How difficult is it for you to watch the situation unraveling there? Uh, well, first of all, we're very close. Uh, I have a lot of family. Most of my extended family outside the United States lives in, in New Delhi. And um, we're communicating all the time by WhatsApp. I'm, you know, I'm the only doctor in the family, so all questions in the family and medical nature come to me. And one of our favorite uncles uh, passed away a couple days ago, um, which was quite shocking. He was in his early 70s, pretty healthy, and he, he died of COVID. So you know, I think what, what strikes me when I, when I hear this and I see Sam's report and Clarissa's report and talk to my relatives is that there's still this bit of a disconnect. Like my relatives are taking this seriously now, but I think that they were getting the message a few weeks ago and they were happy about it that they, they thought they were through this. Uh, that's what they were essentially told. The, you know, they were telling me, you know, look, India's gotten through this whole thing. So I think it is a, a huge amount of whiplash. They're staying home. People are becoming more diligent about wearing masks. Mask wearing had gone way down. So, you know, Delhi's in lockdown, they say, till May 3rd. But you can see in Sam's reporting, you can see in Clarissa's reporting, there's still a lot of people out and about. So there's this real sense of trepidation, Jake. I I think this is the first time I really, over this past year, I've heard them actually sound scared. I'm so sorry about your uncle, Sanjay. What was his name? Uh, Harinder. Harinder. Um, And he was the sort of favored uncle of... of, uh, all of our cousins, you know, the, the sort of natural gifted storyteller in, in our family. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I didn't even hear, I didn't even know he was sick. I mean, because everything was fine. And then it just happened very suddenly, Jake. I'm so sorry. Um, let's turn to the medical side of this. There's a, a variant spreading in India. What do we know about this variant? How concerned should we in the United States be about it, um, especially considering the fact that People are still traveling from India to the United States. Well, we, we don't know a lot about the, the variant. We don't know a lot about what the impact of this variant is because there's not a lot of the genetic sequencing that we talk about. So we know that people develop COVID, but they don't know what specific uh, variant of the virus is causing their illness because they're not sequencing enough. What we do know about this variant is that it, a uh, type of it has been seen in South Africa, a type of it has been seen in California. So it's not just relegated to India. It's probably already spread around the world and now being picked up in various places. It's also becoming increasingly clear from Dr. Fauci and others that the vaccines that we're talking about do seem to be protective against this variant, whether you're here in the United States getting a vaccine or anywhere else. Obviously, the problem there is that not enough people have that sort of immunity yet. Yeah. So let's turn to the good news in this pandemic or what passes for good news in a pandemic. Today marks a huge milestone. One hundred million Americans fully vaccinated. Now, states are are loosening restrictions and have been uh, for some time. It it seems promising, although that's still less than a third of the United States population. 
But do we need to be concerned? I mean, they're still, I mean, there's 26% of the American people, including almost half of Republicans, who will not get vaccinated, according to polling. Yeah, I, so I think, you know, certainly, you know, coming out of India and then talking about this, I think India in some ways, uh, you know, we have to think of that as a cautionary tale when you ask about concern. Having said that, I think that we are in, you know, really good position, you know, in terms of the overall number of doses of vaccine. One thing that's become abundantly clear to me as I've talked to many people who I've been talking to for the last year is that we focus on the number of people vaccinated, understandably, that's immeasurable. But the thing that makes me more optimistic is now we see the dramatic decrease in in death rates, hospitalization rates, and cases are also coming down. So the immunity, it's not herd immunity yet, but the overall status of immunity seems to be having a positive effect. We saw that in the UK, we saw it in Israel, and we're seeing it here. And that's that's the real good news. Regardless of what the numbers of, of vaccinated are, the end product is we want to see those three things come down, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, and they are. So, Sanjay, there's an FDA official who says authorization of vaccines for kids aged 12 to 15 uh, can skip the FDA advisory process. And so uh, Pfizer and Moderna are both looking to get authorization for that age group. What does this mean for the timeline? When can 12 to 15 year olds start going to get appointments to get vaccinated? Jake, I, I can tell you just sort of behind the scenes, our unit, we were prepared for the possibility that might happen today. So we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's, it's going to be soon. We're not, as you point out, going to see that whole process with the advisory committee meeting, making their recommendations. The FDA is still going to look at this data, but essentially they're amending an existing emergency use authorization. So that's really going to expedite it. Should be very soon, Jake. All right. I hope so. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. And again, our deepest condolences you. on your uncle. May his memory be a blessing. Thank you. New information on the Rudy Giuliani raid, why it may all center on a key firing by President Trump, a name you might remember from impeachment, the first one at least, and the epidemic of the big lie, the shocking number of Republicans who still falsely do not think that Joe Biden won the election fairly. It's in our new CNN poll. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, new details about what feds are actually investigating after they raided Rudy Giuliani's home and office on the Upper East Side of Manhattan this week. The New York Times now reports that that raid was connected to former Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. You might remember then-President Trump removed her as the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine in 2019. And as she testified in the impeachment inquiry, Trump was on Twitter attacking her at that very moment, according to the New York Times. In the midst of a Giuliani and a bunch of shady characters trying to dig up dirt on the Bidens, Giuliani wanted her fired. But at whose direction? Former President Trump? Ukrainian officials? Was Giuliani trying to play both sides? The feds are going to great lengths to answer that key question, as CNN's Jessica Schneider now reports. New details about the investigation into Rudy Giuliani and what exactly investigators are searching for. The New York Times now reports at least one of the search warrants served Wednesday sought information related to the former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. The same Marie Yovanovitch, former President Trump fired in April 2019 and who testified as a witness in his first impeachment trial. Our Ukraine policy has been thrown into disarray. And shady interests the world, the world over 
have learned how little it takes to remove an American ambassador who does not give them what they want. Investigators want to determine if Giuliani worked to get Yovanovitch ousted from her position just to help Trump or also to benefit Ukrainians' interests as he sought dirt from them on the Bidens. It's all part of the long-running criminal investigation into Giuliani and an inquiry into whether he worked as an unregistered foreign agent for Ukraine while also serving as President Trump's personal attorney. Federal agents served a search warrant on his apartment and office Wednesday, seizing several electronic devices. Well, about six o'clock in the morning, there was a big bang, bang, bang on the door. And outside were seven, seven FBI agents with a warrant uh, for uh, electronics. I've offered to give these to the government and talk it over with the government for two years. I don't know why they have to do this. The agent seemed somewhat apologetic, I might say. Giuliani insists he has never acted as a foreign agent. I have never represented a Ukrainian national or official before the United States government. I've declined it several times. I've had contracts in countries like Ukraine. In the contract is a clause that says I will not engage in lobbying or foreign representation. I don't do it because I felt it would be too compromising. Giuliani was a prominent figure on the 2020 campaign trail for Trump and repeatedly floated false information about the Biden's ties to Ukraine. The amount of crimes that Democrats committed in Ukraine are astounding. And when you say investigate and call Hunter Biden, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden was the guy who did the bribe. And Joe Biden was the guy who took the bribe in order to protect Burisma. Now, Rudy Giuliani was repeatedly asked last night if this criminal probe could be about more than just that possible violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Giuliani, Giuliani, though, says he has not been told anything about the investigation by the feds. And meanwhile, Jake, federal officials, they're really anticipating here a long legal fight over what's contained inside those electronic devices that were seized, because no doubt Giuliani's attorneys will be arguing that a lot of it in there is really subject to attorney-client privilege. Right, as Michael Cohen's attorneys argued before him. Jessica Schneider, thanks so much. Let's bring in Democratic Senator Mark Warner of Virginia. He is the chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Senator, or I'm sorry, Chairman Warner, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. So um, it, we're told that by Giuliani's attorney that in the last two years, the Justice Department has not issued a single subpoena or asked for information Suspicions of Giuliani's activity in, in Ukraine is not new. So what do you make of the investigating and the investigation escalating so significantly right now? I mean, that is a big, bold, audacious move to raid the home and office of the president's attorney, not to mention those of uh, the associates that are also wrapped up in this. Well, Jake, again, I don't have any details on the Justice Department investigation. But I do know this. We knew over a year ago, and it came out in the first impeachment trial, that Rudy Giuliani was obsessed about trying to find dirt on the Bidens, that he clearly, and I felt this was one of the reasons why I voted for the impeachment the first time, was taking out our ambassador. Obviously, the phone call between Trump and the Ukrainian president was inappropriate. But one thing you got to give Rudy Giuliani, he does not lack for chutzpah, because we knew all this a year ago, yet Rudy Giuliani and others, I might add, were continue to be used by what has now become fairly obvious um, Russian agents to spread part of their disinformation campaign against Joe Biden 
throughout the whole balance of 2020. Uh, I can tell you, Jake, that there were a number of, of Republican senators who would go to Giuliani and others in the Trump orbit and urge them to back off, that they were being knowingly or unknowingly manipulated. And um, yet, yet we here we are, you know, four or five, six months after the end of the election, and, and Giuliani is still pleading, um, I guess, uh, uh, willful ignorance, I guess is what his plea is. Investigators also served a search warrant for a Giuliani associate and subpoenaed his assistant, Joanne Zafonti, to appear before a grand jury next month. Does this all seem to you to be in line with an investigation for someone who, who merely did not register as a foreign lobbyist, which has in the past been regarded almost like a bureaucratic paperwork crime? Jake, again, I'm not going to pass legal judgment on what the Justice Department's doing, but you said at the outset of our conversation that the Justice Department having this kind of raid on somebody as prominent as Rudy Giuliani, somebody who'd been a former U.S. attorney, somebody who'd been acting as Donald Trump's lawyer, uh, I think they would have to hit a pretty high bar of certainty to take that action. And uh, again, it's already in the public record what happened in terms of his involvement with the Ukrainian ambassador. What I I find, again, a a bit um, remarkable in my mind is that even with that forewarning, he continued to spread misinformation, disinformation, and has been uh, fairly evident by lots of public reporting. Uh, A lot of that misinformation and disinformation was the product of a Russian disinformation Mm -hmm. and misinformation campaign Mm -hmm. um, perpetrated by agents of Russia through Ukrainian um, fronts. Chairman Mark Warner, thank you so much, sir. Good to see you. Appreciate your time. 100 million Americans now fully vaccinated as the happiest place on earth welcomes back guests for the first time in a year. And it's not the only place about to see big crowds. Stay with us. Big news in our health lead today. As of today, more than 100 million Americans are fully vaccinated. The numbers of cases and deaths in this country are going down. All proving one thing, these vaccines work. Case numbers are at the lowest they've been since October. Deaths are down an incredible 80% since just January. States and businesses taking this good news to push ahead with reopening. Tomorrow, fans will pack the stands at the Kentucky Derby. Today, Disneyland opens back up to Californians, which is where we find CNN's Nick Watt. And Nick, the TSA has just made an announcement when it comes to mask requirements. What is it? Yeah, that's right, Jake. So this mask requirement for planes, trains and boats was set to expire May 11th. The TSA just extended it through September 13th. Masks also required here at Disneyland, which, as you mentioned, just opened this morning. But listen, the theme of today has been shots in arms and doors creaking open. Today, we reached a major milestone on the number of Americans who are fully vaccinated. Today, 100 million Americans are fully vaccinated. That's about 30% of the population. The people are getting vaccinated and fighting back COVID, and it's working, and they're ready for a comeback. And I got to tell you, I think the Daily News has it right here. This is going to be the summer of New York City. July 1, everything opens in NYC. May 1, tomorrow, no more outdoor restrictions in Connecticut. In New Orleans, now. 
Stores and restaurants are open 100%. Nationwide, many lives are still being lost, but the average daily death toll lowest it's been for more than nine months. I think that COVID is not going to go completely away. Uh, but I am overall quite optimistic for our healthcare system and for our country as a whole. Are you ready? The challenge now, vaccinating the hesitant and hard to reach. This bar in Milwaukee now hosts a pop-up clinic. Vaccine hesitancy right now, it might be easier for people. Emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine in younger teens could come soon. So what about schools come the fall? Based on the science and the CDC, they should probably all be open. Cruises could be back mid-July, says the CDC in a letter obtained by USA Today with safety measures. Tomorrow, Delta will start filling those middle seats again. And tomorrow, there will be up to 50,000 fans at the Kentucky Derby. Actual fans. People are really pumped up about getting a little bit back to normal. I've always thought of the Kentucky Derby as the world's biggest fashion show and certainly the rights of spring as well for all of America. Fashion, eh? There will be hats, but also still masks. I think that people will be very diligent uh, as well um, in wearing masks. Otherwise, they may be escorted out. And here at Disneyland, it's temperature checks on the way in. Listen, this is pretty momentous. Disneyland has been closed for about 13 months now. And the CEO said today, we've waited so long for this. Listen, we've all been waiting so long for so much. Let's just hope we continue on this slow road back to normal. Jake. All right, Nick. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. It's a state whose Republican governor bragged about how excellently and efficiently their election went. But now Republicans in the state want to make major changes to the way people vote anyway. Does Florida's new voting bill go too far? Stay with us. In our politics lead, more evidence that disinformation, that public officials such as Donald Trump or Kevin McCarthy lying to the American people over and over, more evidence that it has an impact. Take a look at this. A brand new CNN poll shows a whopping 70% of Republicans think, wrongly, that President Biden did not win the election fair and square. And in Florida, a rare swing state that Donald Trump not only won in 2020, but improved over 2016, a state where Republican Governor Ron DeSantis heralded how efficiently and expertly their election was run, well, in Florida, Republican lawmakers are nonetheless on the verge of changing election rules to make it, in many cases, more difficult for legal voters to cast their ballots, with Republicans, many of them, citing the big lie about the election. CNN's Diane Gallagher is live for us in the state capital of Tallahassee. Diane, uh, talk us through what this bill does. Yeah, and Jake, it wasn't just Ron DeSantis praising Florida's election. The bill sponsors, as they were introducing it, called Florida's election successful, secure, and uh, something that they were very proud of. But then they started talking about adding guardrails for potential gaming of the system in the future. Democrats say that in addition to them believing that this is a racist bill, it's also unnecessary. I want to tick through some of the changes. It does a lot, but it adds new identification requirements for those who vote by mail. It limits who can return a completed mail-in ballot. It requires a voter to request their mail-in ballot annually instead of every two years like it is now. It expands the power of those partisan observers during ballot tabulation, and it creates additional restrictions and limits 
on drop boxes. Now, again, Democrats have said that this is completely unnecessary because Florida's election was so successful, Jake. And this is actually, as happened in Georgia as well, a less onerous version of the bill than many originally proposed. Uh, yes, it, it is. It is in the words of many of the people who were against it. It is not a good bill, but it is a better bill than originally what it was. Initially, the language banned drop boxes completely. It created very difficult signature matching and would have made it incredibly difficult for people to vote. I can tell you that through this entire uh, way that the election supervisors, there are 67 of them, they're bipartisan in the state of Florida. They have opposed this legislation saying it will make elections messy. It's going to make it harder for them to do their jobs. In addition, this is unfunded, they say. There's no extra money for election supervisors, and there's a lot of extra work and manpower needed. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, and Abby Phillip is here with us to talk about this. So we all remember Governor Ron DeSantis uh, aptly. I mean, I had no issue with it. Taking a victory lap after Florida's election. Uh, Trump won. Uh they ran it efficiently. They had election results that night. Uh, there was uh, early voting. Um, why would they change it? I mean, it seems like it, it went well. I, I mean, there's a long history in Florida of Republicans using vote by mail. This is a state where there are a lot of older voters, many of whom prefer to vote by mail because it's easier, it's more convenient. And they did it well in the last cycle. And yet they're doing this in part because they know that this is what Donald Trump wants. This is the direction that they have to go in, even though there was actually nothing wrong. And it really belies something that, uh, you know, we heard this past week from Senator Tim Scott, he, who claimed falsely that Republicans are not trying to restrict voting, as Diane just pointed out. Not only do they are they trying to restrict voting, but they tried harder in an earlier version of this bill, and then it was pared down to something more simple. So these new Republican laws that we're seeing across the U.S., focusing a lot of them are, are on mail-in ballots, where Democrats did have a huge advantage. Right. Um, and also, we should point out that once the pandemic's over, which it isn't, uh, there will be less of a, a necessary reason to, for people to vote by mail if they, you know, because there, there won't be the, the threat to their lives if they vote. But it's hard not to look at the fact that the Democrats had so much success with vote by mail and Republicans didn't because Trump was telling them not to. Yeah. I mean, look, when, when I was covering this issue last summer, Republicans faced a choice. Do they convince their voters or encourage their voters to utilize vote by mail, just like Democrats had? Or do they try to fight back against vote by mail? They chose to fight back, but mostly because Donald Trump had convinced himself that this was a way that he was going to lose the election. This was months before he actually did lose the election, but that was the choice that they faced and they chose the other path. That's why we're in a position, the position that we're in right now. It was not a foregone conclusion that Democrats would, that Democratic voters actually would even successfully use vote by mail because many of them are, you know, uh, more, more transient. They don't have, uh, maybe, they, maybe they're in college. Maybe they ha changed their addresses. It wasn't a foregone conclusion. It became one because of former President Trump. Uh, take a look at this uh, uh, from the CNN poll conducted last week asking voters, which is a bigger problem in U.S. elections. 45% say voting rules make it too hard to cast a ballot. 46% say voting rules are not strict enough. Now, we know, of course, voting fraud exists, but there is very little evidence that it is a major problem in the United States. And in fact, the biggest 
incident of voter fraud in the last few years was that Republican uh, consultant in North Carolina and the voter fraud he caused. And yet this really seems to be part I mean, there's a partisan breakdown for those numbers, as you might imagine. This really seemed to have seeped into the Republican mindset. This is a major problem, even though there isn't any evidence that it is. I mean, this is a major political skill that the former President Trump had, which was convincing people, uh, particularly Republicans, to buy into whatever his version of reality is. And that's what we're seeing here with voting. Republicans now believe the big lie. And I'm not just talking about Trump Republicans all up and down the ticket all the way through to Capitol Hill. They are buying into the big lie. Of course, the Republicans that were elected on the same ballot in all those states, all those House members, their elections, are totally their elections were fine, of course. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those. Abby Phillip, thanks so much. Catch Abby on her show, Inside Politics, Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern. In other countries, it's usually followed by swift political action. But in America, thoughts and prayers are often what we're told we should follow mass shootings. And then stalled politics. So why is this a distinctly American problem? Stay with us. In our national lead, there have been 50 mass shootings in the United States just this April, according to the Gun Violence Archive, and other countries are baffled why the U.S. has not done more to change gun laws. CNN's Erica Hill has the latest in our series on guns in America. Sixteen children, just five and six years old, and their teacher gunned down in an elementary school in Scotland 25 years ago. Weeks later, 35 people killed at a popular tourist spot in Australia, prompting massive buyback programs in both countries and strict new laws. The people have spoken, Parliament has spoken, handguns are banned. New Zealand, 2019. More than 50 murdered in attacks on two mosques. Australia experienced a massacre and changed their laws. New Zealand had its experience and changed its laws. To be honest with you, I do not understand the United States. Swift action after horror, but not in the U.S., where thoughts and prayers quickly devolve into politics. I think a big problem is the culture wars, that this is part of the U.S. culture wars. Wars that leave little room for addressing the root of this violence. We can talk about making the guns safer, but we also have to talk about keeping guns out of the hands of the people who are highest risk. Despite grabbing the headlines, mass shootings, already at least 168 in the first four months of this year, are just a fraction of gun-related deaths in the U.S. More than 60 percent are suicides, and addressing that recurring tragedy may hold the key to reducing gun violence overall. Suicide touches everybody. Uh, Somebody has a family member, a friend, we're losing veterans. So anything that we can do to help out. Joe Leone manages a gun shop and shooting range in Ulster County, New York. He's also an active partner in a local mental health program known as SPEAK, suicide prevention, education, awareness, and knowledge. We were all reluctant in the beginning because every time there's a shooting, um, and it seems to us that it's a mental health situation. We're the ones that take the hit for it. So it, the discussion wasn't about guns. It was what we could do. Speak unites public health officials and gun owners to help them recognize the signs of a person in crisis. Among them, no prior gun experience or coming to the shooting range alone. The goal, to start a conversation. Talk to them a little bit and see if we can get them to go make a phone call. Any of the hotlines for Speak or any of the hotlines for mental health. 
Inspired by a project from the New Hampshire Firearms Safety Coalition, the successful model has spread to several states. 85% of gun deaths in Utah are suicides. Half of all suicides are with a firearm. So this is a community that's really impacted by firearm suicide. So getting the right messenger is critically important. While less than 5% of suicide attempts in the U.S. from 2007 to 2014 involved a gun, nearly 90% of those ended in death. Has there been an experience where you felt you've been able to make that difference for someone? Oh, uh, yeah, I think a couple of times. Bumping back into the couple of people that I talked to, they said, thanks a lot. Do you think this could be a model for other areas of discussion and or cooperation? Yes. If you really want to have um, a serious discussion about gun control, gun violence, you need to sit down with all the players involved, and that means us. Joe says he's not the only one in the community who really wants to be a part of those discussions. He emphasized how important safety is to the gun community as a whole and that that is something he feels could really be a point of conversation. The woman you just saw from Utah there said what we all need to do is be open. People need to be open to having these difficult conversations, Jake, to talking with people whose ideas, whose values, they may not think align with theirs and they need to honor that moment and really listen to the things that make you uncomfortable. And I do want to note, um, it is so important that we all try to look out for one another and recognize the signs. And I do just want to put up on the screen there, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, It is staffed 24-7. If you or someone you know you think is a person in crisis, is having a challenging time, 800 273-8255. 273-8255. Jake. 800-273-8255. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Eric. Erica. Coming up, why Liz Cheney fist bumping President Biden is triggering so many Republicans. Here's a hint. It's not because of social distancing. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.